Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back. Ah! The right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back with another exciting edition of the crossover podcast right here on 960theref.com. Two main topics on today's show. We're going to recap the Super Bowl, and we are also going to talk about UGA's epic. 2018 signing class don't forget you can find us on itunes subscribe great great thing for you to do because it gives you the podcast whenever we release it you don't have to go to our facebook page or anything because it'll just download right into your itunes account so it just makes it easier for you to find us yeah i mean you don't have to find us we'll just show up that's right that's right yeah Yeah, you don't even have to go out there and look we come find you. So We're just going to do a, we'll just pop in. Yes. Subscribe on iTunes and uh, not to pander, but please leave us a five-star review because you know what that means? We show up in more searches uh, for podcasts. So a uh, five-star review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. But there is business at hand and that business is five-star business, Brain, because UGA just hauled in one of the best signing classes, at least on paper, in the history of National Signing Day. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, again, I know there's all these different services, so I've I use Rivals, and so we got what eight five stars. There were eleven players with a Rivals rating of six point zero or six point one, which is peak blue chipness. And um, for me, the most impressive thing about the class, though, because um, like we've seen classes where guys have signed, you know, you've had seven or eight five stars and uh, things of that nature. I mean, Alabama's been doing stuff like that for the last decade. But um, I, I can't think of where you've had a class. I mean, I'm counting eight guys because I'm including Adam Anderson in that, who I know who had, had committed here originally, then decommitted and committed to LSU, and then we brought him back. But um, I'm going to count him too. But we had guys that we flipped who had been committed to Penn State, Ohio State, uh, two guys that had been committed to Bama, one Florida, one Michigan, and then with Anderson and LSU in there. Oh, and then uh, Tennessee, too, with uh, Cade Mays. So, um, you know, they, to, to have one class where you've got that many players that were committed someplace else and you were still able to sign them is the most impressive thing about the class. And it's, uh, you know, and those aren't programs. We're not talking about, like, flipping a guy from North Carolina or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just – those are royal college football programs with – Huge personalities as head coaches like Harbaugh and uh, Nick Saban and uh, and even Ed Orgeron, who was once upon a time considered an ace recruiter, but um, he really didn't get the job done earlier this week. So that, that for me, is what is just uh, the most mind-blowing thing about this, what Kirby was able to do. Well, one of the best stats I heard of all of National Signing Day was when Otis Reese flipped to Georgia – you know, he's like Georgia's, I think, 12th rated recruiter or whatever. He would have been Michigan's top recruit. Yeah. 
And even and you know with that and even like if you look in perspective too with just the SEC East, um, it's kind of the same deal with um, with that where he's Georgia's you know just looking at the rivals one hundred he's Georgia's like you said their twelfth rated recruit and like the the highest guy ten, you know Tennessee signed two guys in the rivals one hundred and Florida signed two mm-hmm. and like Tennessee's was ranked I think um, like you know, 68 or something. Something so, lower down. Yeah, I mean, right. even Reese was so, – so Georgia's 12th highest rated recruit was still like 10 spots higher than Tennessee's best. And even ESPN, who doesn't give out five stars nearly as frequently as some of these other services do, still had Georgia well ahead of everyone else. And I think I also heard where the gap between, like, Georgia at one and Texas in three was basically the same as, like, Texas at three all the way down to, like, 16 or something like that. Yeah. So that just proves – how nuts Georgia's recruiting class was, and even you know picking up uh, a tight end uh, for 2019 along the way as well. So Georgia just doing an incredible job of getting these players in, and you know Georgia played for a national championship, didn't win it, but they just won the recruiting national championship, and uh, that's what you got to do. Not only do you have to play for championships on the field, you've also got to win them in recruiting off the field and keep stacking these classes. And for Alabama to have had the number one class in the country, I think, what, seven years in a row, and they fall all the way to six. So they fall outside of the top five this time. I think It's not just Georgia. I think Tom Herman at, at Texas, I think Mark Rick down at Miami kind of shoring that situation up a little bit, although Georgia continues the pipeline with American Heritage where they got Isaiah McKenzie, where they got Sonny Michelle, and now where they've gotten uh, Tyson Campbell, the five-star defensive back. And one of the craziest things about American Heritage is that they had the top two cornerbacks in the country – on their one team. Yeah, I know. I would love to look up their, like, what their defense like passing against statistics. Yeah. I mean, like, they, did they give up a completion all year? I mean, maybe, like, a screen pass. I mean, they with the top two down. corners in the country. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But, I mean, a, a wide receiver couldn't have caught a pass against them, right? No, but I, I just think with uh, Alabama, all of these other schools were ratcheting things up around them. And it's making it a lot harder on Nick Saban. You know, I don't. I, I'm not saying that they're over in Tuscaloosa. They just won the national title, so I'm not saying they're over there panicking or anything like that. But I mean, this is definitely a big step back for Alabama in the recruiting world. No, and the, the classes they signed in 16 and 17 are going to keep them definitely at the, of course, you know, the top of the rankings in the fall for the next. I mean, certainly this fall and probably the one after that, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think what happened at Alabama is you had he's had so much turnover with his assistant coaching staff. He brought in a guy from the NFL to be his offensive coordinator this year, um, and then he left, so he had to bring in another new offensive coordinator. But when you hire some guys from the NFL, they're not going to come in and be ace recruiters right no, off the bat. I no, mean, no, no. this guy Dayball was only there for a year, and he's gone. Now. Yeah, I mean, Dayball was he was coaching tight ends. He was coaching Rob Gronkowski. Uh, the year before. I mean, he's not. This isn't a guy that's going to show up in Tuscaloosa and start knocking high school kids, uh, you know, socks right, off right. on the recruiting trail. And now he's gone. And so, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal leaving to uh, to go to Oregon. It sounds like, by all accounts, might have cost him a chance to get a uh, a kid they wanted to. So, um, you know, that that turnover. There's a lot of good recruiters with his assistant coaches, and losing all that, I think, definitely showed up and uh, impacted Alabama. Uh, this year well definitely losing Kirby has hurt him uh, twofold you know not just that you lost a great coach but you also lost a great recruiter who went to one of your biggest recruiting rivals yeah. in Georgia so and, and Pruitt the same way I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Pruitt deserves a lot of credit for putting together that defense that Georgia had just this past season 
because um, so much, so many of those guys came from that 2015 signing class. So, um, you know, Pruitt is a he's a phenomenal recruiter too, and so to have him suddenly up and leave and probably, you know, that that probably cost him Quay Walker. Although at the end of the day, Walker didn't go to Pruitt or Saban, so no, maybe Saban, maybe Kirby was working that thing the whole time anyhow. And one of the kind of uh, comparisons or allusions I made uh, the other day about this recruiting cycle is that, you know, Alabama, this might sound crazy to say, but teenagers, 17, 18-year-olds have very fickle minds and, and, you know, the ADD culture where they're always turning their attention to something else. Alabama, you know, might be old news. You know, that they might be this thing that, that was great for a long time, but I think some of these kids are seeing some of these other things pop up, you know, Georgia, Texas, uh, some of the other schools, like I mentioned, and they're a little shinier, they're newer these kids have a chance to go maybe dethrone Alabama at some of these other schools, Georgia being the the, the biggest one there. So I, I think that, you know, the comparison I made was Georgia is Spotify and Alabama's Napster. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, just, yeah. uh, it's just a different viewpoint because Alabama's been there for so long and they're kind of the old guard. And I just think some of these kids are not getting tired of Alabama, but, you know, people want to see somebody else jump up there and succeed. Well, and Saban's going to be 67 this year. Uh-huh. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure coaches have already started planting that in kids' oh, minds. Oh, yeah, so like, He's not going to – you know, you think he's going to be here? I mean, there's a chance in three, four years he's not uh, he's not going to fill out the, the length of your stay in Alabama. So I think that's about to start catching up with them. But, uh, and look, yeah, I mean, Alabama, they made the playoff. They won the national championship. But, I mean, one – one edge Georgia ended up having is they got to play in that SEC championship game, and they went out, they blew out Auburn in it, and then there was that early signing period on December 20th, and so, you know, here was this performance where Georgia was the champions of the SEC, right. they were this new thing, like you say, this shiny new thing, and that early signing period might have helped there instead of, you know, what if that early signing period hadn't happened, and then... Uh, you know, Alabama won the national championship and all these kids that had signed on December 20th hadn't signed and, you know, waited until this past week. And then, but well, Alabama though, they're, they're still the champs. Maybe it would have been made things a little bit different, but Georgia was kind of the, they were the flavor of the month in December right. because they got to play in the SEC title game and win it. And Alabama was, um, you know, sitting at home. No one was paying attention to him, except Kirby, for the uh, selection committee. Well, and Kirby Smart knows how to speak to and relate to these kids about as well as any coach I've ever seen. And one of the big things there in terms of relating to them and understanding what they want and understanding kind of teenage culture now, Quavo, man. You're bringing in Quavo for Migos, and he's on the sideline like every game. Well, yeah. And what, I mean, what, what players? like Migos is one of the biggest rap groups, if not the biggest rap group out there right now. So what players don't want to come to Georgia and hang out with Quavo on the sideline, you and, know? Yeah, I mean, and Kirby is, like, way more active on social media. I mean, Nick Saban's not on that. No. But, um, but you know, look, I mean, he hasn't been on it and hasn't heard of it this hasn't heard. I mean, I don't want to – that's not the reason. I mean, I think – Really, primarily, it's when you've got that much turnover, when you've lost basically 90% of your assistant of coaches over two years. Yeah. You bring in some guys from the NFL, that's going to hurt well, you. Well, eventually, I mean, you know, Alabama's this reloading program. But look, eventually you're going to run out of ammunition. And yeah. part of that has to do with this turnover of the coaches. You're right. I mean, you can't strike gold every single time. Alabama's done a great job of doing that, but eventually it's going to catch up. Yeah, and I think it has now. Like, I really don't. I don't think Alabama's just – 
I, you know, I don't look at them and say like, okay, this is just a, a temporary blip. No, on the radar. I think this is there's a lot there's a lot bigger of a story around here, and that it's probably the fact that Alabama, like you said, with Nick Saban being as old as he is right now, other coaches are using that against him. A lot of his former assistants, and here's the thing, I think a lot of his former assistants that have gone on to be coaches and haven't had a good record against him, probably because they haven't had as much talent, and they've also been going to schools that just, quite frankly, haven't been on the same level as Alabama. Kirby Smart has, you know, awakened the sleeping beast here in Athens, and now they're on the same level. I don't know how Jeremy Pruitt's going to do at Tennessee in terms of being their head coach. Not good. Well, I don't. I didn't want to say that exactly. I don't necessarily see him going and beating Alabama. But to be fair, they're in a much worse situation than Georgia was when Kirby Smart took over. Just like Florida is in a much worse situation now that Dan Mullen's taken over than Georgia was when Kirby Smart took over. Yeah, I mean Kirby inherited, as we saw this past year with this team. I mean, quite a he had a lot of talent. a lot of talent. I mean, all all ten of the guys that have been invited to the combine later on this month were all recruited by the previous coaching staff. They were all staff. Coach Rick and Bobo and others. Were coaches, yeah, yeah, but now you know. Now we're seeing that um, obviously Kirby's gotten it done on his own these last two recruiting cycles. And uh, yeah, I just don't automatically think like, well, you know, okay, this is one year and Alabama will send back to the top next year. I think mm-hmm. this is sort of the beginning of of that dynasty winding down. I suspect that, like I said, he's going to be 67 on, as we all know, his birthday's Halloween, that um, he might see through uh, the the classes of sixteen and seventeen, and look, I'm gonna. T- I mean, they're gonna win at least another national championship. I mean, they'll probably win this year's. I mean, I don't look look at their schedule. I don't see anybody beating them this year. So, except over in um, Atlanta in the SEC title game, maybe when Georgia faces them, maybe. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, Georgia. I mean, Georgia might have a team that's gonna ha- that could have the same record as the team last year. But Georgia's not gonna be as good ne- this upcoming. Well, season they won't be as good defensively, but I think offensively, there's a chance just because your offensive line is going to be better. And when your offensive line is better, that makes everybody else's job easier. I know replacing Javon Wims is going to be hard. I know replacing Sony and Nick isn't going to be easy, but I do like where Georgia is in the running back position right now. And, hey, maybe they uh, work in the tight ends a little more. They certainly have a bunch of good ones here in Athens. But, you know, I think one thing, too, when you're looking at all this with the way that Coach Smart has come into Georgia – you look at some of those players, and you mentioned the guys being invited to the combine, all being you know former recruits that weren't recruited here by Kirby Smart, but they were developed by Kirby Smart and this staff. And where do you think Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, some of these other guys would be? Because Lorenzo Carter didn't look like he was necessarily developing that well, you know, under under Coach Rick, and and some of these other guys it didn't either. And these guys, this new staff has come in and not only recruited well, but they've taken the guys who are already here and they developed them into much better players. Yeah, I mean, primarily those defensive guys. Right. There's no doubt. And, you know, there was an upgrade. I know everyone wanted Cheney fired after his first year, but, um, you know, certainly the offense uh, seems to be in a much better place than it was for that uh, year under uh, yeah. Brian Schottenheimer. And it's so. been also about finding plug-and-play gyms. Look at Mo Smith, you know, Kirby Smart's first year. Where would the Georgia team have been? I know it wasn't a great season overall, but where would they have been without Maurice Smith? Uh, I think Probably they would even have, worse. I think they would have had two more losses. Yeah. They might have lost to North Carolina. Well, that North Carolina and, game, he had that one play that, that's etched in everybody's mind where he made that really athletic uh, pass deflection. 
And then you look at also a guy like J.R. Reed, who Georgia's come in, plug and played him, and they get him back for another season, which is good. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you know, a year ago, after Georgia signed Gibbs and LeCount, and you're looking at the, the defensive secondary and thinking, boy, I mean, those two guys, because they were both early enrollees, mm-hmm. too, are probably, you know, boy, I mean, they're going to, we're going to have to lean on them this year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I mean, Gibbs right now, it's his status with the program's kind of iffy, and LeCount, they both played, but it was mostly in those blowouts they got in in garbage time but it was Reed who ended up being the uh you know really the the the, the biggest impact player in that secondary I last mean, season. Reed and Dominic Sanders had an argument as being the best safety pair in the country. You know for for the majority of the season. I mean they played very very well. So lots to look forward to for Georgia the 2019 class already the number one recruiting class in the country. We'll see if they can hold on to that. But Alabama no longer the chief when it comes to recruiting, that honor has been taken away by Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, thank you for listening to the crossover. We'll transition now to the Super Bowl, which turned out to be a super game. I mean, it was a really, really good football game to watch from the neutral perspective. And the Philadelphia Eagles did something the Atlanta Falcons could not, and that's beat the Patriots. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and hold on to their lead. Yeah, they didn't make the mistake of going up 28-3. to three That's right. The, they, uh, they, they, let, they let the Patriots crawl back in. Yeah, and, you know, and even New England did. I mean, New England made their run, and they got up there by a point. And uh, that you know, that last drive the Eagles had where they converted, they went for it on fourth down in there in uh, New England territory and were able to convert it. And just, uh, boy, I mean, the Patriots' defense was horrendous. And awful. It, uh, you know, we remember back to the first month of the season, New England's defense was uh, was awful. And then all of a sudden, you know, it got better. Um, and, uh, you know, you kind of shrugged it off and forgot about it and thought, felt like, well, okay, you know, Belichick and uh, Matt Patricia, they, they, they finally solved some problems there. But maybe they didn't. Maybe it was just that they got to the part of their schedule where they got to play teams in the AFC East. And, you know, those six games against those division foes with the, the Jets and their um, – quarterback situation and then you know the Bills had their issues and of course the Dolphins were rolling out there with Jay Cutler although the Dolphins did beat the Patriots this uh, season so I'll take that but um uh yeah I mean that defense was awful and it was it was crazy watching the Super Bowl that looked like a big 12 game there was one punt in the Super Bowl yeah it was outrageous and uh you gotta throw it up for Nick Foles I mean the dude has had back-to-back epic games against the Vikings and then against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, for him to have come in and, you know, been a guy that almost retired, like almost didn't play in the NFL anymore. He comes in to, back to Philadelphia, does a very good job at the quarterback position for the Eagles and then wins them a Super Bowl. And now he's going to go back to being the backup unless they trade him. I, I remember watching Hard Knocks, I guess, two years ago when the Rams were the subject of Hard Knocks. When Jeff Fisher cut him. Jeff Fisher makes the phone call to him. Hey, buddy, (laughs) want to thank you for everything you did. uh, I wish you the best of luck. We're going to let you go, but uh, best of luck to you in the future. Jeff Fisher, what this offseason and this entire season proved is that Jeff Fisher is the worst head coach in the history of the NFL. For quarterbacks, for sure. Well, not just for quarterbacks. Look at what the Rams' offense as a whole did this year. You know, he he basically cost Todd Gurley a, a couple of really – I mean, I know Todd Gurley had a good rookie season, but his sophomore season wasn't very good. And I blame Jeff Fisher for that because look at what Gurley did this year. Well, and there wasn't that much of a personnel change on this team – from Jeff Fisher's final season to this year. I think they added an offensive lineman or two. They did add some receivers. But still, I mean, Jeff Fisher, not he looks so terrible because of what, how the Rams were this year 
and the two quarterbacks playing in the uh, NFC title game were both on the Rams at the same time with Jeff Fisher as their head coach. Yeah, and then yeah, and so he had yeah he had Goff, Coles, and uh, Keenum, or Foles and Keenum, Foles yeah. and Keenum, yeah, and um, and then I also hold Fisher <laughs> responsible now for. Uh, for Vince Young. I mean, I'm 100% convinced that Vince Young right. is not an NFL bust that he ended up being if he had gotten uh, hooked up with some coach other than... Well, I was, yeah. I mean, the I guy was, was talking, just phenomenal yeah. in college. Of course. Was, you know. Well, he made, I think his rookie year, his sophomore, he made the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And it's like, it's and, like, how did you do this with this, this epic talent? And one of my buddies texted me the other day. He goes, do you think Steve McNair could have been like the greatest quarterback of all time if he wasn't playing for Jeff Fisher? I'm like... I mean, he was a very good player, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, know. He, I mean, Fisher even, or McNair, I guess, dragged Fisher to a Super Bowl. It's probably more uh, more appropriate, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's a shame. Like, Vince Young is probably, like, he's most known for uh, that huge bill he ran up that one time at a Cheesecake Factory. And also the uh, the fight in the back of the strip club where he, like, flashed the hook'em sign to the to the security camera. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just, the, the guy was so good in college for him to have, gotten to the NFL and just flamed out the way he did 100% that's it's any coach other than Jeff Fisher and Vince Young is still in the NFL well I mean Vince Young arguably played the greatest individual college football game of all time in the national championship game against USC so I mean we saw the talent that the guy had probably should have won the Heisman Trophy but you know even when uh Reggie Bush got it stripped away they still wouldn't give it to Vince Young but just a just an incredible performance from the Eagles. Incredible performance from a uh, Jeff Fisher castaway and Nick Foles. But we've got to talk about the job that Doug Peterson did as the head coach. Although that uh, play that uh, Nick Foles caught the touchdown on, Foles called the play. Yeah. Like like I saw that NFL Films thing where he runs over. I forget what the name of the play Philly was called. Special. Philly Special. He's like yeah. Philly Special. And Doug Peterson looks at him and he goes. He like gives him a funny look, and then he goes, "Okay, yeah, yeah. let's do that." Because <laughs> he looked up at first, and he was like, "Yeah, you know what? Let's, let's do, do that. it." I like yeah. that. I loved it. And, I, and I'm, Doug Peterson has quickly become one of my favorite coaches in the NFL because the dude's got stones, man. So those fourth down calls and and just dialing up a perfect game plan against Bill Belichick. You don't say this very often. But Bill Belichick got his butt out coached in the Super Bowl. Yeah, all the way down to the bizarre benching of Malcolm Butler. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's just it, that was the those two fourth down calls. I think were just the the right call. And I know those are always positioned like the announcers will think the coaches are are gambling when they're doing that. And I'm, to me, it's like no, they're making the right call. And the the Patriots coming out and going touchdown, touchdown, touchdown on their first three possessions of the second half supports the fact that the Eagles are absolutely 100% right to try and score a touchdown there instead of just settling for a field goal at the end of the half when they needed one yard to get in there. And, you know, even, yeah, you're on New England's side of the field, but you need one yard. The way your defense is playing, it doesn't matter where you give New England the ball. They're going to score again. So whether you punt it to them or they get it right there, you know, you need to try and pick up that one yard. And they did, and they ended up scoring a touchdown on the tail end of it. And look, I've said this a few times uh, here this week, the Patriot way, and I'm using air quotes here, of no player is bigger than the team and our system will prevail regardless of who we play, that came back to bite them very badly in this game in two ways. One, the Malcolm Butler thing, where Bill Belichick's like, well, we can just plug in this other guy and we don't need to play Malcolm Butler. That definitely cost them... And I thought in the other way is some of these castaways that the Patriots, you know, the Patriots are like, we'll bring this guy in. They they basically treat all their players like mercenaries. We'll bring him in for here, and then we'll get rid of him. 
Chris Long and LeGarrette Blunt both had really good games for the Eagles. I know that the, there was only one sack in the game, and it wasn't Chris Long. It was Graham. But Long still put a lot of pressure on Brady, made some good tackles in the running game. So he came back to bite them. And then LeGarrette Blunt goes for 90 yards and a touchdown. So these guys that the Patriots, in their just extreme arrogance, were like, we don't need him, we don't need him, y'all can go away. They go to the Eagles, and they help the Eagles beat the Patriots. So that Patriot way, that whole we're the best and we don't need any one player type mentality really really came back to bite them and then their and their arrogance cost them well i mean i get it, it helps so with new england that they've got the the five rings already that they can afford well, to do course. that because i mean yeah i mean with blunt and long it's like yeah they won a, a title against us with the eagles but they won one with us the uh <laughs> the year before but um um but yeah i mean the malcolm butler thing was i guess the you know that's the one where you know, the head coach probably should have checked his ego at some point. I mean, at least in the second half. At some point when you realize, like, we're not stopping these guys. Okay, I wanted to make a point, but... Well, and to add insult to injury, he played one special teams play. Yeah. It's I, like, it's like, why would you even play him in that one play? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it maybe, maybe just a... I mean, just to make him feel even worse, said, okay, fine, I'll let you play on a punt. Yeah, I don't know. I and mean, Butler just, says, you know, he came out with that statement where he said it wasn't anything... In terms of like missing a curfew or any, he didn't break any team rules, according to Butler. Yeah, he yeah. just said they gave up on him. Or well, whatever. apparently, I mean, and to be fair, he hasn't been very good, or he hadn't been very good towards the end of the season. And Bel- Belichick basically was saying that that it was a matchup thing, and that you know Butler's size. He didn't actually say this. This is just something that I think all of us have inferred. Butler's size would have been a mismatch against Alshon Jeffrey, but. That that doesn't make sense. Then it's like, well, then don't put him on Alshon Jeffrey. Let him cover someone else. Well, yeah, I mean, and they they had Gilmore on Jeffrey anyway. But no, but, but, but that's the thing. They didn't really. I mean, Gilmore uh, most of the time wasn't covering Jeffrey. Well, he was a few times. He did after Jeffrey had a couple big catches, right? And then I mean, Jeffrey kind of disappeared after that because mm-hmm. um, they put. But Gilmore that one touchdown on catch he had was really nice, and that's the thing. I mean. We saw that at South Carolina. We saw it with the Chicago Bears. He's a guy you can throw the ball up to, and he'll go get it. And, and you know, his touchdown catch in the back of the end zone there was a really good one. Uh, you know, I, I think Chris Collinsworth has taken a lot of flack uh, for this game, for the way that he talked about those two reviewed catches for the Eagles. Um, you know, the uh, uh, the one for Ertz, that was ridiculous. I mean, and but but that's the thing. They took a long time to review that. So I understand Collinsworth being like, man, if they overturn this, and he thought they were going to just based on what we'd seen before. But you could t- you could tell he got those three steps in that he had made the quote unquote football move. The one that I was a little kind of shaky on was Clement's catch because he got that one left foot down in the back of the end zone, and then he sort of like bobbled or like double taked the ball and pulled it in closer to his chest. And then he, but he didn't get his left foot back down after that. Yeah, and bound. So I thought that wasn't a catch in the regular. See, I I think that is a catch now. But by the NFL rule, though, that's what I'm saying. By the lay of the land, by the rule, I didn't think it was a catch. It has, and that's why. Yeah, I mean, Collinsworth and Al Michaels. That I'm sure to like, um, you know, the population that watches the Super Bowl that doesn't watch football at any point of the year are listening to these. Well, they two. need to know. They're, well, yeah, well, yeah, well. I mean, that's the thing though. They're listening to Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth like suggest that's not a catch, and, and they like, probably what? think Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are adults that don't know anything about football. Right. But the point is, is like they they watch football too much, and that's why they thought that wasn't a catch of because course. in the regular season that would have been called not a catch. But the NFL was not going to let that well, no. stupid rule impact 
the biggest game with you know like 110 million people watching. But I mean, you and I that that cover this for a living and cover football for a living and talk about it. I'm sure you were in the same boat I was on both of those plays. I'm like, man, the NFL, I mean, they might overturn this. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure that you felt the same way watching it. Well, I, I, you know, what I felt was like there's no way they're going to overturn that in the Super Bowl. With the Clement thing, um, the Ertz thing, I think it definitely helped that when he rolled over and the ball popped out that he secured it He got again. it back, right. I think that helped, actually, you know. If he hadn't have gotten that then back, it might, it might have been weird then had he not <laughs> yeah. had he not been able to resecure it. But right. um, the Clement thing, no, I was watching that and I'm like, absolutely, he got the ball. He didn't have, you know, the ball kind of moved or whatever. Well, I say he kind of like double clutched it and then pulled it into his body. Yeah, but I and I'm like, if it was a regular season, they would have called that incomplete. But I was telling myself, there's no way they're going to call that incomplete uh, during the Super Bowl when they, especially they, with Roger Goodell's relationship with the Patriots, he might have been on the uh, other end of the headset there, being like. Do not overturn that. Yeah, but that's um. But yeah, but I mean, to me, it's like that. That should be a catch, though. You know, any oh, it should that, be. It should be a catch. You know, if the NFL wants to change that rule, like, well, what what Clement did is a, a catch. I mean, when you're just trying to, you're getting down to like these, you know, these vagaries of. Right. I think that ball it might have shifted a little bit. Now, he had it. His feet were down. Well, it's like, did he Stop survive it. the ground? Yeah, quit you it. Know? It's like, and, and I don't know if you saw this, but the XFL leading into the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday had a couple of tweets where they were just ripping on the NFL, and one of them was the XFL, like, where a catch is a catch, and they had these little video clips, little vignettes, and they were ripping on the NFL for, like, the rules being too complicated, not knowing what a catch is, how long the games take, so I thought that was pretty funny, the XFL acting out there and uh, doing it at a very good time, but with this Super Bowl ending and the Eagles winning and Philadelphia being torn asunder after the game uh, with all the uh, you know light poles coming down and all that stuff. There was I don't know if you saw the video of the one lady standing in the middle of the street like sobbing like come on stop this we're better than this and then all the like Eagles fans surround her and they're like bleed Tom Brady yeah <laughs> and then she like sinks to the ground and she's like sitting there and like sobbing and then these other fans come up and they're like big bleep Nick. Big bleep, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> They're like chanting it in her face. And I'm like, I did feel bad for her because she's trying to be like, hey, we're better than this. Stop destroying the city. And people are setting stuff on fire. People are eating horse excrement. I mean, there was just all sorts of crazy stuff that went on after that. So Philadelphia had been waiting for this for a long time. We, I mean, it's just we, we are just at the it, we're, we're, we're animals. And well, the, they're animals. Don't don't no, love human us. beings are animals, <laughs> and at the first opportunity to just behave like monkeys in cages, I mean, we will. Well, they were hanging out on the awning of the Ritz Carlton, and then it just falls. Yeah, well, one guy did a backflip off. Of <laughs> he it. did. But I mean, eating poop, climbing stuff, setting things. I mean, we're just we we are we're just we're stinky animals. Well, and, and they're a little more savage in Philadelphia. How about that? Yeah. Will you I, at least give me that one? All right. So Super Bowl uh, fifty. Three will be in Atlanta coming up at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I know our man Jeremy, who's a big Saints fan, thinks the Saints will be there. Even Dave has said it'll be the most Atlanta thing ever when the Saints make the Super Bowl uh, in Atlanta. But that ain't happening. I heard you make this pick on the show yesterday on the home team when you were in with Jeremy, and I'm making the same pick. The Falcons are going to be the first team ever to make the Super Bowl in Atlanta. I think they could be. Um, I, think, I mean, I think they'll be much better next year. And I think that, that extra offseason and time to prep with Sark hopefully will have the same effect as it kind of did with Shanahan in year two. Yeah. Need to shore up that offensive line in the draft with Isaiah Wynn. I like that. Yeah. I do like that pick there if they do make it. And if not, 
Maybe just take Sony. Just take him. He'll have a great combine. Just take him there. Trade away Tevin Coleman, and you've got a great one-two punch there with Devontae Freeman. I saw Roquan mock to my Rashad. Dolphins. I'll take that. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be I'll very nice. I'll take Roquan to he can, he can join Rashad Jones down there, yeah. who I believe just made another Pro Bowl. Uh, he did, year. and um, you know he was hurt last year. He ended up not playing, but uh, the Dolphins drafted Raquan McMillan last season. Oh yeah, so I you know you Raquan and Raquan get healthy. I could oh. have Raquan Raquan at linebacker. Let's do it. I like Come that. On. I like that for your Dolphins brain getting excited yeah. over here. All right, that'll wrap things up on this edition of the crossover. We'll be back next week. We'll preview the Daytona Five. Actually, we're not doing that. Uh, but we'll. Uh, I like Richard Petty. Okay, there you yeah. go. <laughs> you, you like Richard Petty. I like Kale Yarbrough. Okay, all right. All right, we'll go with those. Those are our official Daytona 500 picks. He's Chris Bram. I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening. Back next week with another exciting edition of the crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Bram on 960theref.com. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.